Good morning, everyone. Uh, hello and welcome. We're so glad to be back with you. Um, last week, we had a Zoom communion service, so we didn't have our normal YouTube service, and that was such a blessing. And then we had over seven countries represented uh, with the YouTube. I have no idea how many countries we have, um, but we're just glad that you're with us this morning. We're kind of taking the, the final turn, the final leg in the journey in our growing season um, series. Uh, we've been focusing on the fruit of the Spirit as found in Galatians 5. Uh, the basis of our teaching has been thinking about this season as a time to grow. We've kind of grounded it a little bit with Jesus' teaching in John 15, where he says, hey, I am the vine and my father is the gardener, and we the followers are his branches. Jesus then invites us to, to remain in him, and the, the ways we remain in Jesus are by obeying the commandments, uh, which leads us to bearing fruit. And when we obey the commandments, we're actually living by the Spirit. And in Galatians 5, we read that the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, forbearance, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, which is our focus today, and self-control. Against such things, there is no law. Now, what, what we've been challenging each other is, as we're going through this season, is to simply answer this question, how are you growing this season? How are you remaining in the vine? How are you growing in the fruit of the Spirit? Uh, this morning when we talk about gentleness, you know, gentleness can be defined as the quality of being kind, the quality of being tender, and being mild-mannered. When I think about gentleness, I remember the, the first time I held Harper. Um, we had a, a little series of complications, so I didn't get to hold her until we were in the recovery room. I remember the nurse saying to me, "Is like, oh, we, we really encourage skin-to-skin -skin contact. And I forgot that the recovery room was a kind of a public room, and there was tons of people there, and I just I took off the, my shirt, and I just grabbed the baby, and I, and I remember holding her. And it was just this, this really cool moment of this girl who I, I had held in my, my, my thoughts, this girl who I held in my heart, I now got to hold against my heart. Um, when I think about gentleness, I also think, about Kennedy when, when Harper met Kennedy I think Harper was about two years old and just that first time she was holding her and just the gentleness uh, of their spirit as they both looked at each other and it was just a really really sweet moment um, when I think about gentleness I think about grandparents I think about my grandfather um, my grandfather you know lived until his mid 90s and, and my, my earliest memories are actually going to his house and I love that no matter what was going on he would always be intentional to, to set apart time for us to go on these walks and and one one of my few memories that I hold on with about Liberia, a lot of them are just consisted of walking with my grandfather. So when I think about gentleness, I think about this idea of focus, this idea of centering, this idea of loving, of caring, and showing compassion. So that's where we're going to come from as we talk about gentleness. Our scripture this morning um, is a somewhat familiar passage. It is John 7, 53 to 8, 11. This is a passage a lot of people refer to as the woman caught in adultery. Um, I found one scholar who says, actually, the better name is probably the men caught in hypo hypocrisy. So I, I like that one better. So anyway, if you have your Bibles, turn with me to John 7, um, 53, and I'll be reading through to verse 11 and chapter 8. John 7, 53. And then they all went home, but Jesus went to the Mount of Olives. At dawn, he prepared again in the temple courts, where all people gathered around him, and he sat down to teach them. The teachers of the law and the Pharisees brought in a woman caught in adultery. They made her stand before the group and said to Jesus, Teacher, this woman was caught in the act of adultery. In the law, Moses commanded us to stone such women. Now what do you say? They were using the question as a trap in order to have a basis of accusing him. But Jesus bent down and started to write on the ground with his finger. When they kept on questioning him, he straightened up and said to them, Let any of you who is without sin be the first to throw the stone at her. 
Again, he stooped down and rode on the ground. At this, those who heard began to go away one at a time, the older ones first, until only Jesus was left with the woman still standing there. Jesus straightened up and asked her, Woman, where are they? Has no one condemned you? No one, sir, she said. Then neither do I condemn you. Jesus declared, Go now and leave your life of sin. Let's pray together. Our Father God, we thank you that you love us graciously, that you love us mercifully, that you love us compassionately. But Lord Jesus, we thank you for this passage and how we're reminded of your gentleness, that even when we have accusers, you are on our side, that even when people or our lives or ourselves define our lives by sin, you give us grace and your gentle love. Lord, we thank you that you're always, always welcoming us home, making space for us, and walking with us, and calling us to be who you desire us to be. For your gentle love, we're forever grateful. In your holy and precious name, Lord, we pray. Amen. So we actually visited this passage back in January, and one of the things that, that really stuck out when we did there was we talked a lot about grace. Now what's fascinating about this, this passage is that um, there's a lot going on in John 7 and John 8. In John 7, you have Jesus actually beginning with his brothers not believing him. You know, and his brothers are actually like, hey, there's a big festival going on. You should go and do a miracle so people can see you. And Jesus is actually having to deal with his own family, not believing he is who he is. And he does go to the temple. And because he doesn't, not just only doesn't want to put on a show, but he goes to the temple to see what's happening. And he goes almost in disguise the first time. But it doesn't take long that he starts teaching. And he starts teaching. But as we go through the, the, the chapter 7, you see all this division. And it's coming upon Jesus. And you see Jesus trying to, to make an appeal, not just for who he is or who God calls him to be, but he sees the vision, he sees the vision, and he sees judgment. And I think one of the key understandings in, in John 7 and 8 is actually found in John 7, 24, where Jesus says, stop judging by mere appearances, but instead judge correctly. This is a reminder of, of something God himself said to Samuel, and it's a reminder to us who, who, who tend to judge by what we see on the outside. If you remember that story that, that the, the Lord said, to Samuel, do not consider David's appearance or his height, for I have rejected all the people with appearance and height. And then this is the part I love. It says, the Lord does not look at the things people look at. People look at outside appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. So Jesus has this whole chapter of telling people, don't judge me. Jesus has this chapter of dealing with his own family who had judged him and said, you're not, you're not the Messiah. But then there's also wonderment that's going on. So you go from this chapter of people judging Jesus by the outside appearance, people not believing who he is, him trying to teach, him having gone to the, 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 the temple incognito. But then when you get to John 8, something changes. Because I think John 8 has some of Jesus' um, harshest words. And it's not necessarily harsh in the sense that he's not being gracious, but it's harsh in the sense of Jesus makes things fairly clear and sometimes that's hard to hear. And he says some of these things in John chapter 8. You think you know God, but you don't. If you don't know me, you don't know God. I am actually from God. Believe in me or die in your sins. I am God. I'm greater than Abraham, who you claim is your father, but you're nothing like your father. In fact, you want to kill me because you belong to the devil. Harsh, harsh words. Jesus makes it black and white. You either choose to follow me and look like me, or you look like your father, the devil. 
So what's interesting is how do we go from Jesus almost trying to not necessarily prove himself, but, but, but to teach and preach to this, this place where he's like just draws it very, very clear. The story itself represents a, a change in mood. And, and the scandal of this is that a lot of people, when the first manuscripts came out, John 7, 53 to 8, 11 wasn't in the story. And, and when you put it in the story, you realize that maybe what changes is this story like something happened for Jesus to to not only see the world clearly he's God he always saw the world clearly but to clearly teach you either belong to me or you do not and what happens I would again propose to us is this story now a lot of times people say you know is it the straw that that broke the camel's back and and when you first think about that it's like it makes no sense how can one little straw break the camel's back well easy if there's already a million other straws that's weighing the camel down, all it takes is one more. And maybe that one more is this story. Because in this story, Jesus seems to be telling us, and even in John 8, the whole chapter then, it seems to be telling us that people, we as people, we think like the world around us. That we as people look like the world more than we look like our God. N.T. Wright puts it this way, this, the story begins with these accusers wanting to stone the woman. But John 8 ends with the same accusers and maybe a bigger um, selection of these accusers wanting to stone Jesus. But in this story, we see the wisdom of Jesus to act like a king and the Messiah that he is. The test we think in this story is, what do you do with sin? And Jesus doesn't necessarily ignore sin. Jesus' grace is yes, but I love this reminder that he graces with gentleness. If you go back to our passage, the accusers bring the woman. They pray on her and they, they call her an adulterer. And what's fascinating to me is that there's nothing about the man that she's accused of committing adultery with. That if these people were truly after justice, you would think they would at least bring both people in the front. But they choose to pray on the weak. In that culture, women had no power. So they give the powerful a pass, and yet they choose to prey on this woman. And they call her the adulterer, even though she had to have someone else to commit adultery with. So they bring her before Jesus because they feel superior. They feel like, look, she's wrong. Look, we are powerful. Look, Jesus, we're going to put you in a corner because we know what the law says. And you've been kind of going around here as this teacher, but do you know what the law says? Are you willing to submit to the law? Because the law teaches us, Jesus, that because of her sin, we need to stone her. And I love that Jesus' first reaction isn't to argue with them. His first reaction isn't to prove them wrong with his wit. His first reaction is he hears everything they say, but then he stoops down and starts to write on the ground. And as a kid, I thought, man, that's a really weird diversionary tactic, you know? And then I grew into the point of like, what is he actually writing? And for years, I was fascinated trying to figure out what is he actually writing on the ground? But the more I looked at this story, I realized how risky what Jesus was doing was. You know, you have leaders now, not just preying on someone who's vulnerable, but you have leaders who are threatening to kill her. You have leaders who are saying, this is what the law says. And they're, 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 they're bringing their indignation and they're trying to make it righteous. They're bringing their anger and trying to make it righteous and saying, this is what the law says. Yet Jesus stoops down. 
He risks that the accusers will get more and more ramped up. He risks that the crowd that has been all around him in John 7 and John 8 will start to side with them. He risks that she will now not just be vulnerable and in a place of great harm, but that she might actually be harmed. And as they keep accusing, he stoops down and writes again. And the lovely verse that he says that we all kind of hold on to is let anyone who's without sin be the one to cast the first stone. And what I realized in the story was that, yes, in January, we got it right, right? Jesus graces her. He sets her free. He redeems her. Jesus doesn't bring, you know, when they bring accusations, Jesus first wants us to see. He wants them to see before God, none of us are innocent. And it's this beautiful reminder that Jesus graces her, but with a gentleness. And I love that his first thing that he says to her is, where are those who have accused you? And I also love, though, I think this is the part we sometimes forget, that Jesus' forgiveness was not an okay with sin was not a, 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 your sin's not a big enough problem. You're, it's not, a, no, he, he tells her and invites her to go and sin no more. See, the grace of God is free. The grace of God is available. The grace of God is this mysterious gift to us all. We learned in the scripture that it is by grace we've been saved through faith. We learn that, that through scripture it is by grace that our faith and our eternity has been changed. It is by the grace of God that we who were far have now been brought near by the blood of Jesus Christ. But we also learn that this grace of God comes wrapped in gentleness, comes wrapped in love and care and compassion, comes right wrapped in Jesus focusing and centering on us. You know, I've really grown and, and, and to love and appreciate the idea of centering. It means that, you know, instead of just, you know, focusing on how it impacts you, you actually take a step back and focus on the person who it's most impacting. And I love that Jesus could have focused on the accusers, but everything I think he does in this story was how do I show them that she's not only worth it, she's not only my child, she not only belongs to God, she's not only greater, or God, God's love for her is greater than anything they can accuse her for, but how do I focus on this person that I know that she knows that she belongs to God? And what's fascinating for me is that Jesus' grace is willing to meet people where they are. Jesus wasn't going to, to, to go, and, and we, Jesus wasn't going to, to have this big argument, yes. But I love that when he centered on her, he wanted her to be set free. He wanted her to be redeemed. And I love that because it's a reminder to me that a lot of times when we're so ramped up and passionate, the question becomes, are we ramped up and passionate for the people who are being oppressed? Are we ramped up and passionate but willing to center them? Are we willing to make them the focus of our love and our energy? But also, are we willing to do that work of meeting them where they are? Because the grace that Jesus shows here is costly. It's not cheap. He's willing to stand between the accusers and the weak. He's willing to, to forgive and set free. But the freedom that he gives is this challenge to go and sin no more. I love that biblical concept of shuv, the biblical concept of repentance. Because it's not just I'm sorry and now I'm forgiven, it's I'm going the wrong way. 
But Lord, with your help, I'm willing to stop walking down that path that leads to destruction and turn the car around, so to speak, and walk that path that leads to life. You know, we've been talking about how we can grow in this season. We talk about how plants need water and nutrients and fresh air and and a healthy soil and environment, uh, a temperature, space, and time. But what I was reminded about in this story is that John 7, 53, which starts the story, actually begins with Jesus going to the Mount of Olives to spend time with God. And that's a reminder that if we're going to grow in the fruit of the Spirit, if we're going to grow in gentleness, if we're going to grow in giving grace, we have to be intentional about spending time with God. We have to be intentional about setting apart time to just be with God our Father. And I think if you spend that time with God, your father, you will be fed by God. That's how you'll be breathed on by the spirit. And I think the other thing this story reminds me is like, yes, Jesus is writing in the ground. But we also have to be intentional about making sure that we're in healthy surroundings and a healthy community. And I think one of the ways we can do that in the church is to be healthy ourselves by going and spending time with God, by going and growing in God, but then asking us, What can we do in this community, in this body, to make us that healthy soil? So that when we do bump into the weak, the tired, the oppressed, they can feel home in the gentle love of God that flows through us. You know, I think when we talk about us as a church, we have to be reminded that it's not just a whole group. It's also us individually. We are the church's people. And if God has gifted us grace with gentleness, the question becomes, how are we giving grace and gentleness to our world? Because I think it's God's desire that all of us are home to the people in our world. That we're a place where people feel safe. That we're a place where people feel at home. We're a place where people feel like they can come and and they can know that they are loved. So that's not, you know, I think in January when I asked the question, I was like, I was asking it for us as whole, right? But now I'm asking it to us individually. How are you a home to those in your life? When people look at you, do they feel safe? Do they feel that they can get the love of God? Do they feel loved? How are you meeting people where they're at? That's what Jesus does, and he learned that from the Father. The Father starts in the Old Testament, and Jesus continues in the New Testament. He's always willing to meet people where they were. But I think what I love about God meeting people where they were means that, yes, you can come as you are, but he always, always desires transformation. And I think for a lot of us, this is a struggle And for a lot of us, this has become a pendulum. There's some of us who will be like, yeah, I believe God wants us to come as we are. And there's some of us who say, yeah, I believe God wants us to be transformed. And the the, the irony for me is that, maybe not even the irony, the sadness of it is we've made these two points combating points. We've made them pendulum swings. Either I believe that people come as they are, I don't love them, or I believe people need to be transformed, I don't love them. Go back to Jesus. We need to do both. We need to be both. We need to be passionate of telling people that they can come as they are. But our God is a God of repentance. And Jesus says, go and sin no more because he wants you to walk the path that leads to light and not the path that leads to destruction. So come as you are, but be transformed by the Holy Spirit. And perhaps this is the one thing that's jumped out to me the most reading this passage and studying it this week is that yes, we've been graced by God to grace one another. 
which means then as individuals, if we've received and, and been blessed by the grace of God, how are we giving the grace of God to others? But I was thinking about all the times I've heard our country is more divided than ever. Personally, I don't think that's true. I think we just now have camera phones. I think we just now have access to information. I think we've always been divided. And part of the reason we've always been divided is that this country has never been heaven. It's been heaven maybe to a few. But to the masses, this has never been heaven. This was never intended to be heaven. This is an empire and a kingdom for the good of man. But if we go back to this simple idea that it doesn't matter if the country is separated, God has called you to be a peacemaker. It doesn't matter that this country is not as it should be. God has called you to help make his kingdom come and his will been done. It doesn't matter that the world is on fire. God has equipped you to put out that fire and to invite his children back home. I think the problem for us isn't that our country is separated. I think the problem is that we as Christians are adding to the separation. We'd rather choose to, to put our lot in a political party than to simply remember that we are the body of Christ together. We'd rather be keyboard warriors on our Twitter and our Instagram or our Facebook than to actually be love warriors who are willing to love each other first instead of making our points. We forget this simple proverb which says this, a gentle answer turns away wrath. But a harsh word stirs up anger. The tongue of the wise adorns knowledge, but the mouth of the fool gushes folly. The eyes of the Lord are everywhere, yes, even on your Facebook page. Keeping watch on the wicked and the good. The soothing tongue is a tree of life, but a perverse tongue crushes the spirit. If we are people who are grace to grace, if we are people who are blessed by the gentle love of God, we must be people who commit ourselves to having the same gentle love and to sharing it with not just the people who love us back. Because remember what our Jesus says, it's easy to love those who love you. Anyone can do that. But God has called us to love him and to love one another. And if that wasn't enough, to love him and to love our neighbor. And if that wasn't enough, to love our neighbors as we love ourselves. And if that wasn't enough, he said, the greatest commandment is this, love as I have loved you. So if you have received the grace of God, the gentle love of God, it is upon you to share that gentle love of God to your world. That's my hope. That's my prayer. And we who have taken and received and been blessed by the gentle love of God, can look at our world that's on fire and be peacemakers. We can look at our world that's full of darkness and be light. We can look at our world that's full of arguments and sit and listen and then to love with what we say. That we can truly be the body of Christ. Yes, even on our Facebook pages. In your holy and precious name, Lord, help us. God bless you all.